0: Welcome to One of One, a new show from Sloika, the curated NFT photography marketplace. Each week, we bring you conversations with artists and personalities from the Web3 space. This is your host, Pam Voth. Hello and welcome to One of One on Sloika, the curated NFT marketplace. Today, I'm talking with Eric Paré and Kim Henry. They are a creative duo traveling the world with light painting tubes, eliminating their nights with magical colors until they fall asleep. They have built a massive community by teaching their light painting techniques to photographers around the world. And now they're releasing their work as photo NFTs and continuing to build a loyal following amongst their collectors. They sold out 90 NFTs in their night reflection series on Sloika and gifted another 18 to collectors. 17 of these NFTs have been traded on the secondary market during the past months. Let's find out how they're doing it. Welcome, Eric and Kim.
1: What a beautiful voice.
2: <laughs>
0: Hi, Pam. <laughs> hey, Pam. <laughs> Hi, Hi. Oh, it's so great to talk with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been, a, it's been a while since our last chat, so we're very excited. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, I've always thought there's something magical about the art you create, and I can only think that it's because you share a deep connection. And I was wondering if you could talk about your relationship to the art and to each other. Yeah, I think,
2: I think that we're very lucky. We both know that we're lucky to share this creative collaboration. Um, what can I say? I, I feel like we both have different field of expertise, and that brings a c- complementary uh, perspective to the work we create. So. But we both share a desire to work with rigor and playfulness exploration we both like to like push our boundaries try to like i guess get comfortable with discomfort so we're passionate about just the idea of creating in nature so i i think that's a that's something very strong that uh, lead our path she
1: keeps saying beautiful wor- words but she's very annoying but i, I like her this way
0: <laughs> yeah that's also
2: one <laughs> Thing. like we we have a complementary way of seeing the word as well <laughs> i'm i'm usually more on the poetic and almost like mystical part of the experience and Eric eric always bring it brings it back to the technical uh aspect of it also because we teach so it, like being precise on the technical part is very important but so yeah we, we kind of go from one hat to the other pretty easily which is great.
0: That sounds like a really good working relationship. <laughs> and I know, Kim, you do, you do a lot of the writing about the work too, don't you? Isn't that a part that you also bring to it? Exactly. Because I feel like we have
2: also a very different experience while we create. I, I stand alone in stillness in nature, and I, I get a lot of time to like get immersed in the environment and contemplate. So that kind of inspire all the writing. Um, while Eric is running, moving a lot, uh, doing multitasking during the whole night, so we have a very, once again, a very different experience in the creative process, which is which is something we like and we would not exchange our position, I think, with one another.
1: (laughs) No, I feel good when I'm running around. Uh, I think I I need that. It's a good, it's a big reason why uh, I still do that. Just running again and again from the camera to Kim to do the IPT.
0: (laughs) Well, I know you've shared the story with me before, but can you tell me how it all started?
1: Yeah, I was eight or nine, I think. I was at the dentist waiting for my turn. And I remember the scene; and it's still so clear in my head. I took some magazines. It's not something I really had access to at home, I think. And the images, the way the the design was done, the uh, the font, the images I was fascinating. Fascinated by that, and this grew up to a point where I started to do infographics Projects uh, with my first computer when I was 12. And I wanted to study in, in that field. But when I had to take the decision to decide what I wanted to do in my life, I was t- too young. I was just 15. And for me, it was too young to leave the small village where I was from and the... Because to do infographic, uh, I had to leave uh, like an hour away from where I was living. And so I chose another path. I went to uh, computer programming, which was great because I got a good, I started a good business out of that, uh, which eventually led me to. Program some cameras together. So talking to a bunch of cameras at the same time, and this is where I learned light painting. This is where I started to do personal project. This is where I met Kim Henry. That <laughs> it was it was ten years ago. We're going to celebrate that in a few days, actually yeah 10 years working with this girl and she changed everything she was so precise in the in that first project we did together and well that's that's our life now <laughs> we just keep uh, creating stuff but maybe to uh, to answer a bit more the question about how it started with the light painting itself so it wasn't 360 I had a small studio with 24 cameras i learned everything in that small studio And then we started to travel outdoors. Kim and I trying to bring that technique outdoors, but couldn't find a way until maybe two years after a trial and errors when we found out these super long tubes. And we were like, boom, wow, we're into something. (laughs) The tubes! And that became a big part of our story. So uh, now it's been... Uh, nearly eight years, yeah, seven years and a half, uh, playing playing outdoors with tubes, uh, having the best time of our lives, yeah. traveling all around the world with just plastic tubes, flashlights, feathers. Yeah, that's how I end my sentences. It, <laughs> it's very abrupt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
0: help, me, Kim, help me, Kim. Help me. From a dentist chair when you were eight to now flying around the world with tubes and feathers and flashlights. It's a a great story. It's a great story. Were you always inspired by dance? Like both of you. That's a question for both of you because I know, Kim, you're the dancer in the images but Eric I'm curious about also how dance inspires you because I've seen a lot of your other work too and it seems like you like to photograph dance quite a bit and where how did that all come about?
1: The truth is that I don't know how to direct and I'm not really interested in directing and working with dancers is fun <laughs> because they know what to do. And I like the way they they play with their bodies. It's just making sense for me. I've never been into uh, modeling. There's a reason for modeling, but I'm more into dance. I work also with circus artists, um, but uh, so I need I need strong people because they have to hold the pose for one, two, sometimes. 13 seconds so it helps to work with dancers circus artists yogis because they can hold that pose working with actors is a bit more difficult i tried i tried but it doesn't always work
0: yeah i can understand kim how long has dance been part of your life and where where does the inspiration for using your body as a dancer come from The
2: earliest memory I have, I think I was three or four years old. And I was watching my older sister, which is five years older than I am. Uh, So she was in a dance school recital. And so I was too young to actually get into a dance class because I was three, I think. And I remember like watching her dance and being like, I can do that. This is what I want to do, you know. But um, I think mainly because... I had a very close relationship to music. I I love uh, I love music. So so that that was like way back then. Yeah, but um, but actually, I was into sports growing up because dance classes were not physical enough. Were not I guess um, intense enough for the young hyperactive kid that I was. I was running around all the time. I needed something very intense. So um, my mom got me into gymnastics, which I did for probably 10 years of competitive gymnastics, which I loved. And then eventually I went back to dance when I was 19. Um, So before going to university, I decided to take a break and take some dance classes uh, in New York City. Uh, So I took a year off, went there just, you know, to get it out of my system, per se. And I basically fell in love. So I was like, this is what I want to do every day. (laughs) So I, from that moment on, I then I got accepted to a dance school and then always thinking, well, maybe I could do something else after if it doesn't work. But it ended up being until today. This is like probably... 13 years later, or 15 years later, I don't know. Um, This is still what I love to do. And I feel like movement is probably my main language, per se. This is, um, yeah, with my body uh, and through movement, this is how I relate to the world, and this is how I want to express my artistic uh, voice.
1: But you shifted from the stage to working outdoors, Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm taking yours.
0: Sp-
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the difference for you? Because you you don't go on stages very
2: much these days. Exactly. Well, I very early on in my career, I was attracted to what we call like in-situ um, like performance, outdoor performances. So, I'll, I I kind of touched that early on and, and kind of liking it. And now with what we do, is like... I really approach it the same way. It's really like uh, perf- outdoor performance in a very intimate setting, m- meaning that actually there are no audience. Eric is basically... I don't even want to say that Eric is, is part of the audience because he is actually part of the performance. So it's as if we are always dancing, the two of us in nature, um, in front of no one, which is a very powerful and vulnerable experience and basically the the images or the videos that we create are the only uh, proof of those ephemeral performance which is something i i really like i think it's very um what is the word <laughs>
1: dancing for the moon and the stars
0: <laughs> yeah there's something very intimate i i love that description yeah i i in in looking at your pieces, it does seem like we're looking at a piece of performance art that is. I, I like your your term that you use, like "in situ." It's like it's it's created with what's around you, and but but for an audience that can't see it until later, <laughs> right? So, and Kim, you're stand you're you're in this beautiful dance pose, like in the in the full expression of of a dance movement, but have frozen in time, while Eric is actually the one moving around, like we heard running around and spinning those light tubes and everything. Eric, how long did it take you to learn to form a perfect circle? And did did Kim help you with that or did you figure out? The perfect circle. Cause I gotta say everything I've seen from you is exactly perfect. And I know you probably have some that are not exactly perfect, but how did you, how long did it take to get to that point? Most
1: most are not perfect. And if you put a circle, a real circle on top of my circle and you see that it's not totally perfect and it's fine. But the truth is that it's not that hard to make a circle. These are the simplest shapes to make. A lot of people are able to do this. Uh, we teach that technique, and the circles and the doors, like the rectangle ones, are super easy. What's harder is the other shapes. A lot of the other shapes, uh, I'm not even able to replicate those. It's just uh, sometimes it's locked, Sometimes it's just um, repeating again and again. Especially with when I'm not using the tubes, there are smaller tools that I'm using. Uh, well, I'm mostly drawing. Looks a bit more like calligraphy. And this is very hard because I have to light up Kim and do a cool shape around her. So this is much harder. I'm not a dancer.
2: If we were to watch you do especially these shapes with the hollow square when you are moving a lot, it really looks like a dance because your whole body is fully invested in the movement with the light. Whereas when we work with the tube, sometimes we you need to be um, uh, like standing on the same spot; otherwise, you're visible. Or sometimes it's just impossible because we are in between two rocks. Or
1: yeah, yeah, I'm about to slip a small on a small rock, and <laughs> exactly. I cannot move at all. So in in these cases, I don't look at, like I'm dancing yeah, at exactly. all. So it really depends. Uh, in studio, I move much more especially in 360 i have to make myself invisible i have cameras all around me so uh, i'm moving a lot and kim can hear me with the steps on the floor but she cannot see me because we're in the dark and she has to stay still uh there's a lot of movement uh but i don't think i'm very graceful when i'm moving
2: (laughs) (laughs) well he keeps saying that he's not a dancer and i respect that but still um you're a mover when we watch you do the light painting and a mover is someone
1: who's moving like the fridge from yeah, one like a house movement. to the other, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it needs precision if you want to uh, like not replicate but um, being able to redo something similar to a previous shape you need, your body needs to be able to um, recognize and remember the movement which means repetition just like you would do in a sport or uh, in dance or you know So I think there is necessarily like a very physical and like, like your body is fully invested in the movement.
1: Yeah, you're making me think. Isn't it like tennis serve? Like it's always the same movement, but you get better at each serve. And now after 10 years, my movement is getting...
2: Exactly. And it's not isolated either. It's not like drawing. It's not only your arm. The movement is coming from... The floor, your your center, and then through uh, your old body to the tip of the light. You know, like just like a tennis player.
1: <laughs> I like tennis.
0: <laughs> He's a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so Kim, your the movements that you make uh, are very. You have to you have to have this ability to stand very very still. And how do you keep in your mind? Like how do you visualize exactly how the camera will see you? Because I've seen photos like all these different photos of you. And sometimes Eric does catch you jumping or leaping in in some of the other photos, but in, in night reflection, in that series specifically, you know, each, each time you're in this absolutely beautiful pose and it's, and it's perfectly situated and arranged for the camera. How, how do you keep in your mind like exactly what the camera will see of every fingertip and every, you know, tilt of your chin and all of that? (laughs) The honest
2: answer to that is that I can't know precisely because usually the camera will be far away, and I have I have an idea. I see the camera sometimes. I don't, but Eric tells me where it is, so I have an idea of the plan, per se, um, and also the composition um, because Eric will tell would tell me. So uh, the composition is towards that side. So you are on this side of the frame, for, for instance. So I know. I have a very vague idea. Um, But the truth is, I have no idea what it looks like until we watch, until I, I watch, like I see the pictures at the end of the night. And I actually am not interested in knowing it during the process because I don't want to focus on what I think I would, could, should look like. I really, I'm really just fully focused on the experience the attention, um, where my attention goes, which is uh, in trying to fulfill the the body with energy or with intention in stillness, if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) That's why I love talking to artists, because it. yes, I feel like, yes, it makes sense. But on another hand, I could never come up with that on my own. But I totally understand it when you explain it that way.
1: When we do location scouting, we can't decide on the spot because it's going to look good during the day, but at night, it might be totally different. And sometimes it looks like nothing. And with the experience, kind of know that it has some potential and it's not before we do the first picture that we know, okay, yeah, that works. Uh, because it's the same for me. Like. I'm gonna take a test shot without the light painting and can it looks okay maybe, but when I do the light painting, it's not just the light painting itself, but I'm going to light up the foreground in some cases, especially in sand dunes, and then boom, there's something else. It's looks mm-hmm. it, good. And I don't know really well in advance. So and sometimes it doesn't work, and so we move on to, to something else. Um, going back to the question to Kim, the way I phrase it to make it very obvious is that I tell her the empty side, the empty space is on the left side or on the right side. So fill it up with your intention. That means that if the empty space is on the right side, she's going to look toward that direction. And I'm going to have the intention of having the light painting that fits with that. So if I do a circle and, and a twirl, then the twirl is going to, to fill that space. And Kim knows about that. So sometimes she's going to have a, an arm stretch on the right side. And I'm going to play with that with the light painting shape.
0: It sounds like you guys play a lot. sounds very fun. <laughs> and of course, the work that you come up with, when you anyone looking at it would just see absolute perfection. But I can imagine there are some tough days along the way.
1: No, never. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Well, every time we felt a good uh, experience that we add to our bag, Uh, really we. Don't even create, but it happened recently. Uh, we had that beautiful snow uh, in the city in Montreal, and we're like, oh, "This is like the best conditions we've ever had." We had to shoot tonight. It was not in the plans at all to shoot uh, winter scenes, but we uh, we decided to go uh, on that day. And once we arrived in the woods, we walked from the the studio to the to the woods. It's a uh, thirty or forty minutes walk, and it was a mess because. Uh, there's been a lot of snow on the trees and the snow started to fall on the on the ground. And then the ground was super messy. It was ugly. And we didn't even uh, try it at night. So sometimes it doesn't work. And that's fine because we, we go out uh, probably uh, over 50 times, between 50 and 100 nights per year, I think, mm-hmm. with the tubes. So that's the trick. We're doing a lot of Yes. <laughs>
2: We we go out a lot, so it means that we know that there are going to be a lot of bad days. Yeah, bad days. But we always, I feel like we always try to see the positive, even within like the bad days. So it's always. It's always a good occasion at least we're outdoors at least we did a good hike at least we learned something why didn't why didn't it work so and, and we have the... something
1: about the vengeance also if, <laughs> if it doesn't work we talk about the vengeance yeah. that point
2: uh yeah sometimes we'll have some i get revenge or vengeance it Re- means that revenge yeah yeah, revenge, yeah. Revenge, so we'll eat something that feels good <laughs> <laughs> So we eat we eat good things to celebrate, but if we need like to uh, bring ourselves up, we eat something that we like.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a perfect antidote <laughs> to to things not going as as perfect as you would want. It's so I know in Web3 now with, with your NFT work, and you still have your community of people that are attending your workshops and you're teaching them these beautiful techniques that you have. With the advent of Web3 and NFTs and all of that, could could you tell us what, what do you think are the best aspects of Web3 for artists?
1: Yeah, and there are so many things that photographers don't know yet because it's still new. I feel like... It's very separated these days, like those of us who embrace the technology over a year ago and then a lot of people are not sure, don't have time, it's a new thing. And I felt that. I felt the same thing. It took me months before joining, but there are so many good reasons to be part of this new economy. So there's the the technology itself. When you mint your art using a smart contract on the blockchain, you're not uploading to a centralized system. This means that there are no moderators in web, like in web2 companies that can dictate what you're allowed to post or not. And also the possibility to have your art displayed in virtual galleries with proof of authenticity and proof of ownership. So this might be new for a few folks. But the way it works with, with virtual galleries that the um, the the collectors, the owners of the NFTs are going to show that in their own virtual gallery. And when you see that when you see the item, you see your name, it's on the blockchain, it's, it's kind of registered. Okay, So it's a proof that you created it. And it's a proof for the owner that he collected that piece from you. And that brings me to the the direct relationship that can be established between an artist and a collector. I don't feel that the tools are there yet, but the concept is great. You can imagine a future where you can send a message to all of your collectors, instead of relying on a mailing list or a Telegram chat. This means that only the current owners of your art would receive the news oh yeah maybe one last point the royalties uh, on each transaction on the secondary market the artist is very likely to receive royalties uh, this is a major change compared to traditional art where only the first cell would bring revenues to the artist and we've been through that many times because of the secondary sales we had on open after the initial sales on stroika we received 10 percent on each sales it's cool we don't need that but it's it's good add-on so once you understand that as an artist, why would you not be part of this economy? It's obvious, right?
0: That is a really amazing aspect of it, isn't it? So, where are you going to go from here? I know you've you've accomplished, you know, a sellout of well. There's there's twelve different series on Sloika. Of course, ten of them were NFTs that you were selling to collectors, and then there were the additional ones that you minted to to be. Um, gifts to collectors or awarded to collectors for accomplishing certain things whether they were like the first one to sell on secondary or maybe they were the one to collect a specific special image from that series or something so do you have plans for where you're going from here in web3 yeah we
2: we keep creating that's for sure um night reflection we're still working on night reflection this is our live project so we, we've been creating a lot, a lot of images uh, during the last fall and we'll keep traveling this year in the months to come, probably in South America, um, Europe, Asia. So,
1: And we work from home also because we yeah. love mosquitoes.
2: Exactly. So where are we going? We keep, we keep creating, that's for sure. And we have. We have plans for for night reflection that we're still developing, and I don't know. I don't think we we talked about it yet. So maybe for for another
0: <laughs> another,
2: another so.
1: big announcement coming up on Sveika. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no short need term, to share secrets. <laughs>
1: yeah, but short term we're releasing our first edition uh, on Sveika on Sunday, uh, January 15, and we chose that date because. I think you already know, Pam.
2: (laughs) It's my birthday.
0: (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Great birthday present. Yes. So tell tell us about this edition.
2: So all the
1: images that we released uh, on Straica are all horizontal. And during the the last exhibit in Rome, I think, I was like, oh, all of the monitors are vertical. And we don't have anything vertical that is minted. And but we have pictures, so how can we make it fun? How can we integrate that? Because I don't I want to create new series for this, but as a good add on, we're going to mint some vertical ones that are in relationship with some of the uh, series that we launched over a year ago. So the first one goes with series number three that is. Deep into the night, the series where we were playing with the Milky Way. So that is a Milky Way shot, but as it's vertical, you see it. It's huge. And and Kim's taking a magical pose. I think you saw it already, bam. <laughs> it's going to be uh, released pretty soon. So available this Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Number of items, 20. Price, 0.1, and there's going to be a pre-sale at, uh, it's on Friday, I think, and Friday, 13th. mm, To join the pre-sale, you just have to subscribe to our mailing list, yes, that old system with emails.
2: (laughs) And is there something special with the edition?
1: Yes. So it's going to be a, a gacha, so that means that it's random. It's all the same. All, all of the, the pictures are the same. It's, twi- it's an edition of 20, so 20 times the same picture. But they are numbered on the ERC721 contract. So you don't know which number you're going to get when you're going to collect. If you collect number 13 by chance, you're going to get a one of one of the main collection that we have in, in our wallet at the moment.
0: That's pretty special. <laughs> Great birthday present, Kim. <laughs> wow really cool so, so I, I was curious I was curious about the numbering of that and thank you for explaining that how it does go with night reflection three right because that's the one that had all the beautiful Milky Way shots and yeah I was it, was there any any story about capturing this one particular image that you would like to share this vertical
1: Kim is patient that's the story of this one uh, it was a very long night we started probably at 4 p.m. that night uh, shooting with the sunset uh, with Kim dancing and after a very long walk in the sand dunes, as always, finding the right spot and she was dancing, was taking pictures to for us to get prepared and then the blue hour comes and we do light painting with the sparklers, create uh, images, she's playing with the sand. and. Then at the very end, I was like, I want to have one solid vertical image with the Milky Way. And it was so hard for me to get the composition right on this one, because it, it's a bit complicated working in, in sand dunes to have the Milky Way properly aligned between two dunes with Kim on the right side and me at the right height. Because if I move away, I go down if, and to have the right leveling with her, it was nearly impossible. So it took me over an hour to just get this one. And the Milky Way was getting away. It was getting crooked and a bit too much. So I didn't have more time. And Kim was super patient with me, as always. Very solid on each pose.
2: So yeah, it's interesting because it's uh, it's one of those shots that we really worked hard to get. So it took an hour to get that, that one shot, which is... Uh, which is different from our usual workflow i would say
1: mm-hmm. yeah because the alignment was nearly impossible
2: exactly but but eric had this vision in mind so that's why we kept this is where like all those nights of practicing come into play and all the experience and uh, because it's we need to tap into like our endurance and it's not only like um, being physically, let's say, tired, but we've been at that point. Probably we were—I don't even know—six, seven hours in, let's say, and we
1: still had one hour walking back
2: to the yeah. camp. So
1: doing camping also, like working, we—I mean, we were working in the sand dunes for hours and then sleeping on the, the tent. Exactly. So I guess it's
2: a—it's a good uh, testimony of tenacity patience.
1: But at the same time, we feel like we're on vacation when we do this.
2: Yeah, <laughs> obviously there's the whole like magical aspect of being the only ones in the desert mm-hmm. that night, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, in emptiness with no wind, only the stars. And sometimes so the... fox, <laughs> a fox, <laughs> so a very... fox coming to see what's happening over there. So yeah, it's a, I guess a mix of all that in this image.
0: So it's a beautiful performance for nobody and for everybody all at the same time. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys joining me today and um, talking with me about your work. I'm so excited to see what happens with the launch of this edition and then what who, who gets the special number 13 to get a special one of one and all of those things. I wanted to also say for the listeners of this podcast, we have some special things for you too. And that is some special bonus content from Eric and Kim on the Sloika blog. So if you go to sloika.xyz blog, you'll see a few extra questions that they answered that I was asking them prior. So you maybe get to learn what kind of special food they get to eat when they have a good day or when they have not a good day. But you'll have to read the blog. To, to learn those things. So, Kim and Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Did you have anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up?
2: I don't know. What else? Then thank you. <laughs> we really appreciate what you and the whole team at Sloika do. It's very valuable for the whole community. So Yeah, with, without Sloika,
1: there would be no fiction the way it is currently. The way it's organized, yeah. it's... Big part because of (laughs) SLOICA.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that a little bit in the past, but I know how important that like arrangement of three rows of three with each one being nine images and how you created for that and the way it's displayed on the site. And so I think everyone should just really go and take a look at all 12 of the Night Reflection series. You can find it at sloica.xyz slash ericparade.eth. Right? That's your artist profile page there. And just take a look at all of that and realize that more is coming. And with that, I will say thank you again for joining me. We'll see you next time on Sloika One of One.